Thanks.
Test. Rachel, you want to turn it up? Testing. Yep.
their balls and off of it. Good morning. Let's go over a couple of announcements. Uh, envelopes in the offering box as per normal. Andrea is still at our contact number, and it's a great contact number, as a matter of fact, I might add. Uh, we have new days of praise booklets in the lobby along with Acts and Facts. And we have our other offering envelopes for those of you who s still have not availed yourself to those. Uh, evening service, item 5, will resume again tonight at 6 p.m. As usual, please bring drinks and a dish to pass. Uh, our Easter service on next Sunday proper will be as follows. Uh, early service from 9.30 to 10 in the morning, followed by a short break. And then our regular morning worship will be at 10.30 and the brunch will be to follow uh, immediately after. Um, please don't forget we have a sign-up sheet. We still have a couple spaces vacant uh, for you folks to, to add your particular favorites in there. And uh, the main main dish is going to be ham. And uh, if somebody wants to bring a, a different meat dish just as a something to offer as an alternate, that would be fine as well. But please... Uh, Avail yourself to the board. Do we have any updates on Carol Atwood? How she's doing? Continue to keep her in prayer. Uh, Della Lewis, how about how about uh, Dale? Have you got any updates on Della Lewis? How she's doing? Okay. All right. Remember to keep her in prayer as well, and for Ken and his brother Gary as he uh, gets into the the surgery for his heart. Do we have any other announcements that uh, we need to be made aware of? Anyone? Okay. Our scripture for meditation this morning is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 7. That will be page 993 in your pew Bible. 
Would you stand with us as we begin our service in prayer? Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning, we are mindful of the fact that you have given your one and only Son to us as a sacrifice for our sins. The blood that was spilled on the cross washed away our sins, never to be remembered by you. And it cost him his own life. Father, we pray that this knowledge that you know that, that those of us that are belonging to you, that are your bought saints, our redeemed souls to you, O oh Lord, bought with a price. And as we dwell through this week on the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he gave, that we may be free from sin and the bondage thereof, what an awful, terrible price that was paid for us. In our own, Lord, we were so unworthy, but you deigned to redeem us, to save us from ourselves. I pray, Father, as this day goes along, as the pastor brings forth the message, that the words that he preaches are used to convict the lost and draw them unto you, O Lord, but to again reassure us as your redeemed saints and your children. Have your spirit commune with us this hour. Embrace us and hold us up. Protect us from all that would do us harm physically and spiritually this day and the days following and let us look to you in all of our decisions all of our thoughts all of the days of our lives this father we ask in the name of Christ our Lord and our Savior amen please remain standing you take the red trinity and turn to number 100 number 100 in the red
Our scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 39, verses 1 through 20. That will be page 64 in your pew Bible. When you reach that, please stand with us. <clears throat> now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all 
that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in his house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in, in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he was brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out loud with, with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled the house. As soon as his master heard, heard the words that his wife had spoken to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. May the Lord give us this cautionary tale for our hearts when we learn and abide by it. In the name of Christ our Savior.
Yep. Okay. Thank you. Our scripture text this morning is Genesis 39. Genesis 39. This account is very familiar to us. But what is not so familiar, or should I say not so acknowledged, is that what happened to Joseph at the hands of Potiphar's lying wife is often seen as an anomaly. In other words, it doesn't happen very often. The feminist movement of the United States has portrayed men as sexual predators generally true, and women as helpless victims of such, also true, but have next to nothing to say about women who use their bodies, their speech, their provocative dress, their cunning, and their awareness of men's sexual passions to prowl and pounce by surprise upon unsuspecting men who, if left alone, would continue on minding their own business with no intention of sexual assault or promiscuity. Joseph, as we shall see, was such a man. Verse 14, or excuse me, verse 4 and following says, Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, excuse me, and became his attendant. He's referring to Potiphar. We read on, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Verse 4, verse 5. May I say that Joseph was so trustworthy that the only thing which Potiphar concerned himself was, verse 6, was for dinner. That was it. So we find Joseph in Potiphar's house, and it is as Joseph himself reports, verse 8, with me in charge of my master's of my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. So everything's been handed over to Joseph. He goes on. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one in this house is greater than I am. Verse 11 continues. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. Now, he's not boasting here. This is a true statement when he says, Everything Potiphar owns, he has entrusted into my care. 
Why would he do that? Because he found out that Joseph was not a cheat. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a liar. He wasn't a deceiver. He wasn't working to overthrow Potiphar and take over the whole estate. He wasn't doing any of those things. He was acting as a faithful servant. And God blessed Potiphar's house as a result of Joseph's involvement. Now, you don't have to be super smart to see that. Just be able to add some numbers together. And Potiphar figured out, wow, I'm getting blessed because this guy is running the estate. And the reason Joseph is often in Potiphar's house has nothing to do with trying to make an advance on Potiphar's wife, but everything to do with his obligation as household manager to carry out his prescribed duties of managing the estate, which means pay the bills, manage the estate by ordering supplies, give the wages that need to be distributed to the servants, make repairs on the property, do the grooming on the grounds, settle disputes between the servants, etc. You know, manage the estate. All the things required of an estate manager. The office and the paperwork were located in the house. Well, something else was in the house. A witchy woman on the prowl. Not hesitant in the least to use all of her sexual wiles as a woman for that, that purpose in her own words to Joseph, come to bed with me, verse 6, and she says it again, verse 12. Consider the contrast between righteous Joseph and this diabolical woman. I call her witchy woman because she's acting like another one in Scripture who's known for her infidelity and her immoral conduct, and I'm referring to Jezebel, who did practice witchcraft. First things we note is that Joseph is a captive target of this wicked woman. Through no fault of his own, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, you remember that, who had their own brand of treachery going on as they faked Joseph's death and lied to their father Jacob to hide the fact that they had made money selling off Joseph as a slave and were happily free of him and his grandiose dreams which they hated. We can hardly think of a worse scenario for Joseph. Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery to a foreign country, his death being faked, but believable because of his special coat stained with goat blood to convince Jacob the father that Joseph had been attacked by some kind of wild animals who killed him. So as far as Jacob is concerned, Joseph is a goner. Probably a lot of grief in his heart thinking, why did I give him that coat, made him stand out? He was attacked, he was killed. 
All of this is a charade. None of it happened. But the charade worked. Jacob mourned for days the assumed death of Joseph, while the brothers, oh, they just kept their mouths shut to let the ruse play out. No intervention by God, no rescue, no vindication of Joseph's integrity, no judgment on the perpetrators of this cruel hoax. Satan the liar and murderer from the beginning, as Jesus describes him in John 8 verse 44, was having a field day. Wow. An apparent win for hell and a notable setback for heaven. And when Joseph arrived in chains in Egypt, an even worse scenario began to unfold. Joseph was purchased on the auction block of the Egyptian slave market by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's imperial guard, verse 1, and he was confined to a house as a house slave in, of all places, the very residence of Potiphar's promiscuous wife. Things are going from bad to worse. Like Daniel of old, Joseph was being thrown into the lion's den. Only this time it was a lioness who was the danger. Peter warns us and encourages us in the same text saying this. The warning. Be self-controlled. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That's the warning. Here's the encouragement. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you Make you strong and firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 5, verse 8 and following. Now we see this in our text. Joseph has been sold into the den of the diabolical lioness. The playground of the evil one. But verse 2 states, The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Where? In the house of his Egyptian master. That's where. Verse 3 says, The Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Verse 5 tells us, for that says, From the time Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his household, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian, because of Joseph. There's no scenario, no matter how wicked, no matter how diabolical, how anti-God 
how wicked. There's no scenario where God is absent and unable to rescue us, sexual temptations included. Let me read it for you. All right. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. Notice this next statement. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Joseph is trapped. He is. He's trapped. He's a slave. He's a prisoner in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's duties took him away from home on numerous occasions. That is, took Potiphar away. Likely he knew nothing of his wife's philandering passions. But that's what was going on. And so, we observe secondly... That wicked woman makes her move on Joseph. Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph's appearance. Look at verse 6. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. I didn't write this. God writes that. You mean he, he takes notice of such things like that? Yeah, and he writes it in his word. Joseph was well built and handsome. New King James Handsome in form and appearance. I'm guessing. Slim, muscular, pleasant to look at. We say tall, dark, and handsome. A woman's dreamboat. Not short, balding, and overweight like me. (laughs) He's a hunk, right? He's a hunk. Well, she did more than look. She planned her strategy, and at an opportune moment, she popped her proposal, verse 7, come to bed with me. This is the height of sexual temptation. How many people, married or otherwise, have walked up to you and said, come to bed with me? It just doesn't happen. We do not expect that kind of boldness. And I suspect that we would be shocked by such a proposal and taken aback. And well, we should be taken aback. This woman was married to Potiphar. That much Joseph knew. What he might not have suspected was that Potiphar's wife was on the prowl because Potiphar himself was not around to fulfill his marital responsibilities. He was away on state business. Adulterers count on this when they're on the prowl. Solomon warned his adult sons on something he witnessed from his terrace window. Let me read it for you. 
at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. And I saw among the simple, the Hebrew word here is naive, I saw among the naive, and I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with careful, excuse me, with crafty intent. She's loud and defiant, and her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. With a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I have fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. You see, this is all planned. It's all planned. Nothing incidental about it. She goes on, come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He won't be home until full moon. So he's away on a business trip. By the way, this is Potiphar too. He's away. She goes on with persuasive words. She led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter. Oh boy. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces its liver. Like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, Listen to me. Pay attention to what I say, writes Solomon. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 7, verse 6 and following. Well, let me tell you, Potiphar is also away from home. His wife is amorous. She hungers for sexual satisfaction. Joseph is a handsome dude. But mostly, he is available. Uh, Or is he? Not really. See, how do you know that? Because we read of his rebuttal. Witchy woman has made her move. She is as bold as the Proverbs 7 woman. Potiphar is away. All the men are animals when it comes to sex. She has no reason to believe 
that her advances will be repelled by Mr. Joseph. What a shocker it must have been for her to learn the truth of three little words, verse 8, but he refused. What? Moi? You refused moi? Yeah. And his refusal is given sound judgment, verse 9. He's speaking. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Oh, I love that. Wait a minute, though. What what does God have to do with any of this? The law prohibited adultery. That was not even codified yet. Not until the book of Exodus, chapter 20. But no matter, Paul tells us that even the Gentiles, Gentiles that don't even have, they don't have Bibles, they're pagans. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, they don't have a Bible, do by nature things required by the law, no marital unfaithfulness, They're a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing them, now even defending them. Romans 2, verse 14 and 15. What was Paul saying here? He's saying this. Men made in the image of God know they know right from wrong. Although they work hard to suppress the truth. And so God's righteous judgment can be eradicated from their conscious thought. They don't want to think about that. Romans 1 verse 18 and following. Allowing them kind of a mm, false peace. (laughs) I remember Dr. Gerstner. I love that guy. Related an account to us at family conference in Grand Rapids. In which a radio host invited him, Dr. Gerstner, to debate on the radio homosexuality. And Gerstner refused. And when the radio host questioned him, well, why not? Gerstner answered, here's his answer. I know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. End of debate. I know it's wrong. But what is even more important, you, just a man on the street, you know it's wrong. Did you have to read a Bible verse that said it was wrong? No, you know it's wrong. Potiphar's wife certainly knew that what she proposed to Joseph was wicked. But as with so many, even in our day, immorality is viewed as so commonplace as to be of little consequence. 
If it feels good, do it. That was the model when I was growing up in the 60s. But then as now, it was nothing new. Joseph's rebuttal was a righteous rebuke to Potiphar's wife and a reminder of her marital vows. Should have caused her to mm, pause and rethink her conduct, but it did not. Instead, she doubled down, as we say, by intensifying her seduction. Verse 10. Though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. What? Day after day? Jesus kept nagging him. So what did he do? He limited his presence with her to being around her. No way, Jose. Well, one day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, but voila, none of the household servants were in the house. Verse 11. What? How'd that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Witchy woman had staged the whole event. She had dismissed the servants. She emptied the house of the workers so that she could physically catch Joseph by his cloak and again propose, come to bed with me, verse 12. It's all through this text. And with no servants around to witness this whole charade, she likely was dressed provocatively. Yes, lip gloss, rouge, perfumed hair, bare breasts, whatever. All designed to convince Joseph to let down his guard and succumb to her beauty. She had him by the collar. Literally. Literally. What could Joseph do now? Well, he fled the house. He fled the house. He left his cloak in the hands of Potiphar's wife, which, as you know, she later used successfully to convince the servants and then her and her household and later her husband that Joseph had tried to assault her. But when she screamed, oh, well, he fled, leaving behind his garment. And here it is. The word for garment here. The Hebrew is large or blanket-like covering, hence a tunic or an outer garment. So Joseph made his escape in his underwear, and witchy woman used her diabolical lies to paint the picture of an attempted sexual assault. And her story was just, I mean, it was so believable. But of course, she had proof. She had Joseph's tunic. How else would she be in possession of this covering? 
he was in the presence of disrobing when she screamed. <laughs> and so when he, she screamed, of course he ran away. He realized he was in trouble, so he took off. Servants came a-running. And when Potiphar returned home and heard the same tale, verse 19 says he burned with anger. And he impounded Joseph in Pharaoh's dungeon, verse 20. Oh, isn't this just great? Witchy woman has won the day. Her promiscuity is credited to Joseph, and he goes to person to prison rather for refusing her sexual advances. Where's the justice in that? Well, what are the lessons from Joseph's encounter with witchy woman? Number one, promiscuous behavior in women is just as diabolical as in men. So beware. Why do I call Potiphar's wife witchy woman? Because she conducted herself in her sexuality like a witch. Her immorality is like that of Jezebel that is found in later biblical history. What do we know about Jezebel? We don't have to guess. Let me read it for you. 1 Kings 16. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Wow. Ahab also made an Asherah bowl, and he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. 1 Kings 16, verse 30 and following. What's this Baal and Asherah pole? Well, Baal is a sculpture of the male organ, and the Asherah pole is a carving of a nude woman. In a, wood, in a wooden pole. Both promoting sexual promiscuity, which was so much a part of pagan worship. These are the fertility gods of the pagans that you might have read about in your history. Well, I thought this a thing of the past. I mean, yeah, that's happened back in the Bible days, the Old Testament days. But certainly not, not in our day, right? Well, I thought that. Watching a History Channel documentary on Easter, Eastern religions, and there on the screen 
were these oriental women carrying around and bowing down to stone pillars of the male organ. Baal worship was alive and well in our day. And Jezebel promoted all of this in Israel and led them into gross immorality. And when Jehu came to meet Joram, son of Ahab and Jezebel, Joram asked, Have you come in peace, Jehu? And he responded, How can there be peace? Jehu replied, As long as all the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel abounds. 2 Kings 9, verse 22. And after killing Joram, Jehu turned his attention to Jezebel in the city. And when Jezebel heard about it, I'm reading scripture. When Jezebel heard about it, she painted her eyes, she arranged her hair, she looked out of the window in provocative dress. 2 Kings 9, verse 30. Plying her provocative poses to seduce Jehu, she ended up being thrown out the window. Because he said, if if any of you still obey God, throw her out. And they did. The Lord Jesus leveled warnings against the church of Thyatira in Revelation. Oh, wait, wait, Revelation, that's the last book of the Bible. Yeah, here's what God said to Thyatira church I have this against you you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrifice to idols I've given her time to repent of her immorality But she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her. Suffer intensely. Until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know. That I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will prepay each of you according to your deeds. Revelation 2, verse 20 and following. Potiphar's wife was and is the procreative line of Jezebel and women like her. Now in my naivete, I never thought of women in general, of being provocateurs, that is, of being the instigators of sexual promiscuity. Till one day I was invited to a wedding party when I worked for the company in Lapeer. While waiting for dinner to show up, We were informed, me and the boss were sharing a table together. We were informed that we were missing all the fun. Oh, really? 
What fun? We asked. The bride informed us that her bridesmaid was doing a dance called the alligator crawl on the floor, and all the men were standing around gawking because the bridesmaid was wearing no underwear. Here was a woman, the bride, inviting us, the boss, and me to join in the immorality involving her bridesmaid. Instead, the boss and I both excused ourselves and we left the party. Immoral witchy women are everywhere. Let us not be naive. It's not just a male thing. Secondly, like Joseph, make it your practice to avoid areas where immorality is imminent. Do we know ourselves men? We should. Are we so naive to think that other people may struggle with sexual sins, but not me? Really? How foolish we are to think so. Joseph did what often we do not do. What was that? He hightailed it out of the lioness lair as fast as he could go. And that's what he did. This is in stark contrast to the foolish young man Solomon witnessed from his window, of whom he warned his sons, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Proverbs 7, verse 25, 26. Paul put it this way, you will come New Testament. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. So as Paul asks two verses earlier, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Answer, he gives it, never. Never do that. How then do we deal with our sexual urges? If you are single, you seek for, you find, you marry a wife, your own wife or your own husband, as the case may be. Paul writes it that way in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife. Until you are married, avoid situations where being alone with a woman may open the door to temptations and sin. And if you're already married, Paul continues, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. I don't know, maybe Potiphar failed in this area. What I do know is that Paul 
calls marital relations a duty. The Greek word is ophelio, meaning an obligation. And if this is not done, Paul lays out a possible consequence. Do not deceive each other except, excuse me, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and only for a time. And then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5 and following. Did you know the Bible had all this kind of instruction in intermarriage in our marriage relationships? Solomon put it this way, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with a stranger. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Not your young wife, but rather the wife you married when you were young. May she, may, your, may she satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. Proverbs 5, verse 15 and following. So what's the answer? God is saying, avoid areas where immorality are imminent. Third lesson. Never succumb to the notion that religious duties, get this now, that religious duties offset and exonerate immoral behavior. Solomon hit on this as he watched the fool from his window who was snookered into following the adulterous home from the square. One of the rationalizations for her proposed sexual immorality was this. Well, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I have fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you and I looked for you and I I found you. What is she saying? Well, she is claiming to have been obedient in fellowship offerings to the Lord. So she's in fellowship. And she has kept her vows to God. Good for her. So since she is in a sound relationship with God, A little self-indulgence and sexual immorality cannot be that big a deal. Satan would have us believe that obedience to God in one area earns us a pass in another area. And we reason, well, I'm a good father. I, I provide for my wife and children. My boss has promoted me to foreman because he appreciates my integrity. I'm a deacon in the church. I'm an elder in the church. 
The church community looks up to me as a spiritual leader. I'm a man of prayer. I'm a man of service. All of this may be true in and of itself, but such good standing can be used by Satan to cause you to rationalize and to excuse or ignore your vulnerability to sin. We drop our guard. We become full of pride. We see ourselves because of our integrity to be somehow immune to the temptations of other men. This was the error of the Pharisee praying in the temple. Let me read it for you. The prayer Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector, Luke 18, verse 11. And what was the evidence that he gave to support this claim that he's not like other men that are involved in sinning? Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get to tithe. (laughs) This is the same sinful rationale of the adulteress in Proverbs 7. Today I have fulfilled my vows, so I came out to meet you. Same kind of thinking. Yeah, came out to meet you, yes, and to solicit this stranger to share her bed while her husband is away on a business trip. Let me say it again. Religious fidelity to God does not excuse immoral behavior. Number four. Do not buy into the lie of the evil one that hardship deserves a little pleasure. Up until this time, things have not fared well for Joseph. Just think about it. When in Palestine at age 17, Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to Jacob, Genesis 37, verse 2. That became a source of much animosity with the brothers. Next, Jacob favored Joseph above all the brothers by giving him this visibly showy, ornamental, richly valued coat of many colors. And that caused his brothers to hate him all the more. And it says they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Genesis 37, verse 2. And then perhaps displaying the naivety of youth, Joseph began to have prophetic dreams from God, indicating that one day he would rule over his brothers, and he told his brothers the dreams. And the Bible says of the brothers, they hated him all the more. This pipsqueak 17-year-old, he's going to rule over us? Ha! We'll have none of that. One day the brothers were tending sheep for Jacob's flocks. 
Jacob sent Joseph out to check on the brothers. And when they saw him coming from a distance, we are told, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Reuben, however, convinced them to throw Joseph into a dry cistern, hoping to return later to free him. But by the time Reuben made it back, the brothers had pulled Joseph out of that cistern and they sold him as a slave to Midianite traders that were passing by the pasture land. Oh, wow. Good deal. Got rid of this 17-year-old dreamer and made money on the deal on top of that. But now Joseph is doing well as house manager for Potiphar. And in comes this attractive woman who literally throws herself at Joseph for sexual pleasure. Finally, the devil suggests, you know, here is a respite for you. In all of your trouble that you have experienced, here's this beautiful woman inviting you to her bed. Moses would later acknowledge such as this as the pleasures of sin, even though they are short-lived. Hebrews 11, verse 25. Zophar said to Job, Surely you know how it is from of old, ever since man is placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief. The joy of the godless lasts just a moment. Job 20, verse 4. Elihu, another of Job's friends, cautioned him, Beware of turning to evil. When you seem to prefer when you seem to prefer to affliction, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Job thirty five Job thirty six verse twenty one. Jesus' words also come to mind. If your right eye causes you to sin, Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 5, verse 29. So what I'm saying is that Satan will come to us and he will play on our self-pity. He will suggest that since we endure so much in terms of sickness and pain, financial adversities, tensions in the home, tensions in church, a little self-indulgence can't be all that bad. He will then dangle some alluring specimen of self-gratification before us as he did with Eve. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, she took. So Peter warns us, be self-controlled not self-indulgent, but self-controlled and alert. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith in the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you suffer just a little while, 
He will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, steadfast. First Peter 5, verse 8 and following. That became part of Joseph's history as well. Finally, let us learn that sex sins are against God as well against as well as against those whom we exploit. In Joseph's rebuttal to the solicitation of Potiphar's wife, he reminds her that she is married to Potiphar, which is adultery in and of itself. And then he says, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Genesis 39, verse 9. You know, all sin is ultimately against God, whose standard of righteousness is founded upon the very fiber of God's holy character. Centuries later, King David would succumb to what Joseph did not succumb to. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about the beauty of Bathsheba. Bathing in the moonlight on her porch. And that excited David's lust to the point where he just had to have her. His passion won over his obedience to God. The Lord chastened him, as you know. The child he fathered with Bathsheba died, and his own kingdom was eventually torn in two by his sons. Months, I mean months, passed with David pitying himself over my loss, oh my loss. But the day came when he woke up to his sin and confessed it to God. And we have that in the scripture, his confession. Let me read it for you. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Psalm 51 verse 4. He also sinned against Bathsheba when he used his kingly power to fetch her. He also sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, when he arranged his, for his death in battle. But all of that pales in comparison to violating the commandments of God that he claimed as his Lord and Savior. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thankfully, David did not end his prayer simply with confession. No, he went on to pray. Here, let me read it for you. Cleanse me, God. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Psalm 51, verse 6 and following. And you know, God did just that for David. 
He can and will do the same for you and for me if our confession is really sparked by repentance. Not just mouthing words, but because we truly are repentant of our sin. Our Father, we thank you for that truth. We find in Joseph an honorable man. He's got himself in trouble. Not really by his own doing, but by the allurement of a, an immoral, wicked woman. I pray that you will help us to learn we can't always trust our friends. They may lead us to wickedness. We can't trust our hearts because the heart is desperately wicked, the Bible says. Who can know it? Well, God knows it. We can know it if we read and study your word. I pray that you'll help us in all of this. Bless the truth of the fact that we are saved by the blood of Jesus, whose blood is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we'll thank you for what you do. And we know you'll do it firstly for your glory, but hopefully for our good as well. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> our closing hymn is in Trinity. And it's hymn number 90. 92.
remind you of tonight's service at 6 downstairs. The Fellowship Hall, bringing uh, some food or drink to share. And we'll continue in our study. And then we uh, will uh, dismiss from down there. And remember that uh, special services are coming next week. You can read about them in the bulletin. I remind you of those again. We are dismissed. Thank you.